Let's take our Bibles this morning. We're starting a new series, Isaiah chapter 1, the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to be in this for a little bit here, and uh, there's some chapters I'll consolidate, and others I might take a little bit more time to preach from, but we're in an exciting series today, Isaiah chapter 1. And if you've, if you've just only have casually gone through Isaiah and have been wanting to know more about it, you've got to be here for the series. Our series is entitled, Behold Your God, from Isaiah 40, verse 10. And so right now, at this beginning of the year, we're starting a se- several new series. We have this one going on in the morning services, and it'd be a very encouraging one for you to invite your family and friends and people you know to come to church. Sunday night, we're starting a series from the book of Revelation, and uh, we're going to tell you what's going to happen in the future. How many want to know what's going to happen in the future? Don't you want to know what's going to happen in the future? Amen? You want to know what's going to happen? You want to know who you're going to marry? No, I'm not going to tell you about that. Amen? You want to know what gender your child's going to be? I'm not going to tell you that, okay? Uh, you want to know if you're going to inherit a bunch of money. If you do, make sure you tithe, okay? Uh, that's all I've got to ask you to do. But those things I won't help you with, but we want to know what happens in the future, and the Bible tells us that, okay? And so, Revelation, our theme will be Our God Reigns, because if I give you, if I give you something, things that shall come, uh, there's about 12 chapters that deals with judgment, and you're going to probably not like me for 12, about 12 months here as we preach about judgment there and, and things of that nature, but it, it just kind of tells us as we, we talk about the tribulation period that God is on the throne. And, and in spite of all the things going on in the world in that future time, God's in control. And then if you're not part of our adult growth groups from 9.15 to 10, I encourage you to join when we just, all of our adult growth groups just started a new series from the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is one of those favorite characters of the Bible. His name means Jehovah has consoled or Jehovah gives consolation. And uh, we're, we're going to look at some very, very encouraging topics this morning. All of our classes today, our adult growth groups, were challenged about praying. And we saw just some, some glimpses of Nehemiah's prayer life about the kind of praying that moves the hand of God. And so everything this year is very doctrinal and practical driven to help you grow in the faith and to really say this is going to be an only God year. And if you just would make that commitment of that way, you'll just see God work doing some great, great things in your life. Isaiah chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible, I'm going to ask our members to share their Bibles with you. And uh, I'm going to try to read a little slowly. Uh, the book of Isaiah is not an easy book to understand, just like the book of Revelation. We're trying to kind of take kind of the, the practical salient features here that will help you. But uh, you do need to have a Bible that you share, and preferably a King James Version Bible to help you understand this. And we'll read verses 1 to 11 this morning. I know we're on limited time, and I'll try to do the best I can to get this done quickly here for that. The Bible says in verse 1, how many of you there say Amen. amen. I said we've got to have an amen congregation. You need to say amen. If you don't say amen, you're not going to lunch today. Amen. Man, you're a mean pastor. No, I'm just full of caffeine right now. Amen? This is a good morning. Amen. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Listen to this. He, he, he prophesied and he ministered during the reign of four kings. That's important to understand this because we're going to look at those kings in our study here. So this is, this is going to be a great study. If you're, you miss a Sunday, you know, you're going to have to go on live stream. You're going to have to go on our podcast again, but don't miss a Sunday. There's going to be some great Sundays here. But he, but he prophesied the vision God gave him concerning the days of King Uzziah, King Jotham, King Ahaz, and King Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear. O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel does not know, 
my people doth not consider. Oh, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backwards. Why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness. The word soundness means there's nothing healthy about this situation. There's no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country, he's talking about Judah now, your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Just to give you a side thought, as we preach to this, you have to bear in mind that the great world power at that time that was oppressing many of the Middle Eastern nations was the nation of Assyria. Assyria was the forerunner of Babylon. And after Babylon, there would be the Medes and Persians. This is all world history. By the way, world history validates the Bible. World history validates the Bible, okay? When I'm telling you here, you're going to find a lot of world history that validates the integrity and the authority and the authenticity of God's word here. And so when he's talking about these cities burned with fire, the Assyrians had actually captured some of the cities of Judah, and they were planning to go after Jerusalem. And we read some of that in the Kings and Chronicles here. And you can go back to historians and read that to validate that there. So he's telling them something they already know about cities that have been burned with fire there. And he says, your land... Strangers devour it in your presence, and it is desolate, is overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion, now he's talking about he's talking about the Jews now, and he's talking about Jerusalem here, but the people of God. The daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's like it's like your house is in the middle of nowhere and you're just hidden from sight. A cottage in a vineyard is not a good place to be. Or as a lodge, a lodging place for wayfarers, a lodging place for people traveling, and a garden of cucumbers. That's a bizarre place to be. He says, you're, you're just like a cottage in a vineyard, and as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. Now, there's a lot I'm going to say. Go down to verse 18, if you would, please. Go down to verse 18. Listen to verse 18, and then I'm going to ask you to read it with me. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Would you read that together with me, please? Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Would you notice that first sentence? 
God said, I know you're in sin. And he told his people, your sin situation is so bad, he compared them or analogized them to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's pretty bad. He said, you're so, you're so far from me. You're so far from me. But God makes a loving invitation. He said, let's reason together. Let's reason together. He says, I'll take your sins and make them white as snow. And I want you to listen as we have this opening message this morning. I like, I like that word together in verse 18. Because God said, let's be together again. Let's be together again. That's what reconciliation is. Together again. That's what, what, that's what happens when people have friendships and relationships that have been fractured and severed. We need to be together again. He's not talking, let's get on the same page. He said, let's get together again. This morning, I just want to take a few minutes to give you this introductory message as we look at this subject, together again. Father, bless the word this morning. I pray for the presence of God to come down upon our church today. Thank you, as Brother Danny read, about the beauty of holiness. And we read about the Holy One of Israel today. The best way I know how at this limited time, give us understanding, move us, dear God, closer to you. Have thine own way in every heart. May you be glorified. Thank you for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Isaiah is one of what we call four major prophets. The prophets in the, 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 book, the books of the prophets in the Bible, in the Old Testament, are divided into two sections. We have the major prophets, which there are four of them, Isaiah being one of them. And we have the minor prophets, being 12 of them. Lord willing, I might towards the end of this year or going to next year, if the Lord tarries, go to be preaching from the minor prophets on Wednesday nights. But the major prophets would be Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. About three years ago, I preached through the book of Daniel. We spent probably an entire year preaching through the book of Daniel. We had a great series. We had an awesome time with that. Isaiah is perhaps the longest of the books. He's a prophetical book. He's going to tell us about the future. It is the longest of all the prophetical books. It has 66 chapters. Theologians have nicknamed the book of Isaiah as the Bible in miniature. As Isaiah has 66 chapters, we have 66 books of the Bible. Isaiah is broken into two sections. In chapters 1 to 39, we have God's word about Judah and God's word about his nation, about a people that have departed from God and God calling his people back to himself. It's, it's preparing them for things to come. The Bible itself, if you would, the first, the first 39 books of the Bible, there's 66 books of the Bible, the first 39 books of the Bible are very similar to that. And then we get over here and realize that then we get into the last 27 books of the Bible. The Old Testament has 30, 39 books. And the New Testament is 27 books. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah represent God working with Israel. Then chapters 40 to 66, the emphasis is on the coming of Jesus Christ. And we see much about the deity of Christ. As we read through the book of Isaiah, chapters 4, actually through the whole book actually, we read about the birth of Christ and the prophecy of the birth of Christ. And we read in Isaiah 53, that monumental chapter there about the death and suffering of Christ. 
And we read in Isaiah 53 about the resurrection of Christ, but a good component of, of Isaiah talks about the second coming of Christ. Now, it doesn't deal with the rapture. That was, a, that was a mystery unknown to the Old Testament saints at that time. But it deals with the second coming of Christ, which we'll del delve into a little bit here in our study of Isaiah, and we'll delve into a little bit as we go through the book of Revelation. And uh, the last 27 books, if you, if you would, the last 27 books of the Bible are, are the, all the entire New Testament. So it's a Bible miniature, if you look at it, 39 chapters on, on one end about Israel and 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 books in the, in that uh, 27 chapters in Isaiah that talk about Jesus Christ and, and his deity and uh, there's 27 chapters in the New Testament there. And so we see history here and we see also the future. Um, we notice here that that the New Testament, we get into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that John the Baptist is very prominent in the beginning of the New Testament. And it's very interesting as we start Isaiah chapter 40, as it starts getting into the, about the deity of Christ and the prophecy about Jesus Christ. It announces the prophecy of the coming of John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. In, the new, in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 22, it, it talks about the new heaven and a new earth, just a concept that the, the Old Testament believers were just trying to get their heads around. As we get to Revelation 21 and 22, we read about the new heaven and the new earth. When you read Isaiah, you're probably familiar with many, many of these significant chapters. For instance, in chapter 6, we read about the vision of Isaiah. And there, we, we, we read those words where he saw a vision of the angelic beings surrounding the throne of God and crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And many of us are familiar with that passage of Scripture, and we'll spend some time on that chapter, probably Sunday morning, Sunday night on that. But we have, we're familiar with Isaiah chapter 6. We're familiar with Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 of the prophecy of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. We're familiar with Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, which talks about unto us a, son is, uh, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. We preached about that a few weeks, just a couple weeks ago, about the birth of Christ. In Isaiah chapter 14, a good segment of that chapter reveals to us the fall of Lucifer. Who was Lucifer? And, who, who he's, and, and that's just about Satan and, and, and his fall there in Isaiah chapter 14. And we'll probably correlate some things from Isaiah 14 with Ezekiel 28 on that. Isaiah 26.3 is a prominent verse, and if you're not familiar with it, it's a verse you want to be familiar with. It says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, because he trusteth in thee. And then Isaiah 40.31, we have the wonderful verse there that talks about, about when we get weary and tired. It says, it talks about they that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. It talks about money up his wings as eagles. It talks about just how God, though our outward man may perish, how God renews our inner man. And of course, as I mentioned, Isaiah chapter 53 deals with the suffering of Jesus Christ. It is truly a masterpiece of the scripture as it speaks colorfully about future prophecy and eloquently about the deity and the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is Isaiah important? Why Isaiah of all the new Old Testament prophets is the most quoted of the Old Testament prophets in the New Testament writings. He's the most quoted of the Old Testament prophets in the New Testament writings. Isaiah was one of the great prophets of Scripture. We want to get to know Isaiah personally. We want to know about this man. We don't have the record of this, but many believe, historians believe, Jewish historians believe, that during the reign of Manasseh, who was the son of King Hezekiah, that during that time, Manasseh was a very wicked king and was the trigger point why God, God led Israel, put, put uh, Judah into captivity by Babylon. It is said that before Manasseh repented and turned his heart back to God, that he took the prophet Isaiah, who had been the prophet to Hezekiah, uh, the father of Manasseh, and had been the prophet to, to uh, Ahaz, the grandfather of, of, uh, of uh, 
of Manasseh, that he took him and he, and he sawed him in half. And we have a record there in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 about the prophets of God who were martyred and in particular those who were sawed in half. And many believe the reference there has to do with Isaiah. Isaiah was a bold prophet. Isaiah was a courageous prophet. Isaiah was a spirit-filled prophet. Isaiah was a man who had God's heart. Isaiah, his own, his own name means Jehovah is salvation. When we say the name Isaiah, it speaks to us about the salvation of the Lord. And we cannot help but read through this book and see salvation brought up over and over again. Herbert Lockyer in his books has said this, he classified uh, Isaiah as a statesman, as a reformer, as a prophet, as a teacher, and as a theologian. He said this about Isaiah, he was an orator above his peers. He was an orator without any peers. There was no one that could compare to that. We know that this man did extensive writing in addition to his preaching. And some of the writings we don't even know about that's not part of inspired scripture are found in places like uh, 2 Chronicles 26-22 where it says this, now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, first and last, did Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, write about. So he wrote about, about the biography and the life of King Uzziah because we read that Isaiah's heart was broken because of Uzziah's sin. But yet he wrote some things about King Uzziah that are secular, that are secular nature that God for some reason did not incorporate into sacred canon here. We read over in Second Chronicles 33-32, now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah, and his goodness. Behold, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, and in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. Again, he wrote about these kings. He wrote about Uzziah. He wrote about Hezekiah. In fact, as we get in our study of, of uh, Isaiah, we're going to get probably somewhere down the line here in chapters uh, 37, 38, and 39 of, of Isaiah, and we're going to see some glimpses and some uh, highlights there about the life of King Hezekiah. And beyond all that, Isaiah wrote many more things beyond all that. I mean, Hezekiah was a very relevant prophet for his generation as he gave the word of God. He starts off in chapter one, which he notices, he starts off by talking about the vision that God gave him. Now I'll say more about this tonight because tonight as we open up in Revelation chapter one, we're going to talk about having a 2020 vision in a darkened world. And several times uh, John goes off and he talks about in the book of Revelation about the visions of God. Now sometimes we hear the word vision and uh, we get some spooky feelings that come alongside of that because we're wondering did the person eat, a, eat, eat too much pizza from Costco the night before or did they have too many hot dogs before they went to a ball game or something like that, you know? And we think about vision, something spooky someone saw that was you know, metaphysical, whatever. That's not what the word vision means. No, the word vision means here in the Bible, whenever you see that, it talks about an open revelation of the word of God. So when you read the word vision, never get scared of that. It's talking about an open revelation of the word of God. And as he was getting this open revelation, he was getting a vision of things that are things that will be. And that's how visions are. They're always about things that are and things that will be. And so these visions of God were about the word of God being given to them. The book of Isaiah had not been written. God was giving them his book. He was giving them his word. So it starts off here that the vision, the open revelation of God that he gave to Isaiah, who was the son of Amos. And by the way, Many believe that King Amos, uh, that his father Amos may have been the brother of one of the previous kings, which if that's the case, King Amaziah, if that is the case, then there was royal blood inside that family there because of the lineage there. So Isaiah was a man who had access to kings. He was able, he was in the court of the kings. Uh, he had the ears of the kings. I think about, I think about some, some preachers today who the presidents of the United States have, have asked to come into their presence that have counseled them. Uh, Billy Graham for many, many years 
was the president of several, uh, was the, the prophet, or if you want an evangelist, who, got, who had the ear of several presidents. Uh, John F. Kennedy had him in his presence many times. Richard Nixon had him in his presence many, many times. Uh, there was a period of time in Billy Grant's ministry that Dwight Eisenhower had him in his presence, and for a brief period of time, uh, President Truman had him there, and Lyndon Johnson had him in, in his presence there, and Gerald Ford had him in his presence, and you know, God, God just kind of worked through cer- certain leaders that they'll bring, a, they'll bring a man of God into their presence, and that's a good thing. I think, I think every president, every leader ought to have a man of God in their presence. They need to get the mind of God, amen? And, uh, but you look over here, he had, he had the heart of four, four of these men, and we'll read about some of that here in the book of, 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 the book of Isaiah here. But it speaks here about these open visions, and uh, we'll see that here in the word of God that was given to him. Now our theme, as I said, is taken uh, for this year, is only God. And every, you'll see every one of our preaching series we have, that the, the theme revolves around God. It's only God. And we're going to see as we get into difficult situations, it's God who gets us through this. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10, our theme is, Behold Your God. Notice as we get into our chapter this morning, as we start this new year, everyone wants a clean start. Everyone wants a clean start to a new year. As we look at these verses we've read, and I'm going to study with you this morning, it encourages us how to have a clean start. Now, those of you in sales can understand this. In sales, say if you can have an incredible sales year, an incredible production year, an incredible commission year, whatever it may be, but when January 1st comes, you have to clean the chalkboard off. All the sales goals are great, but that's historical. Everything starts all over again. You start, we have a clean start. If you had a bad sales year, a bad production year, you know, you clean it off, and if you've got a reasonable manager, they'll say, well, let's give you a clean start, we'll start all over. Now, I would like to think everybody here today has had a good year in 2019. I like to think that we all have our challenges that we want to overcome, but let me just say this, everybody starts off, and we all start off the same, and we're starting off the new year with a clean start, amen? And this chapter of scripture helps encourage you and I about how to have a clean start spiritually, because you know what? It's not enough to have a clean start financially and it's not enough to have a clean start emotionally and it's not enough to have a clean start relationally and it's not good enough to have a clean start career-wise. We must have a clean start spiritually in our relationship with God. Can you hear an amen? We need to have a clean start with God on that. And so Isaiah encourages us about that. I know that what we just read sounds a little bit dismal, and you're probably wondering, Pastor Fong, where do you see that? We'll get there. Just hang with me for just a few minutes. But we're going to get there. And I want you to understand this morning, as we look at this theme about Isaiah, whose name means the Lord our salvation, and the theme, behold your God. I want you to behold with me a God who loves you. And I want you to behold with me a God who's patient with you and I. And I want you to behold with me a God who is long-suffering. And I want you to behold with me a God who's forgiving. And I want you to behold with me today a God who is cleansing, a God who's interested in giving you and I a clean start. Notice three things about our passage this morning as we get into it and how, the, how it goes along with the idea of a clean start. Number one, verses one to 16, I'm going to take a little bit of time because we need to move very quickly. I want you to notice what's going on in the context of scripture. I want you to see a people that have a corrupted condition. A people that have a corrupted condition. Now, we're going to see some things here. They're going to just kind of open our eyes. And uh, in fact, some I want to caution, you might even get a little bit offended by what is recorded here as I describe it. And I don't want you to be offended, nor do I want you to leave. I'm going to put a disclaimer. I don't want you to leave today saying, Pastor Fong said I'm a very bad person. I did not 
not say that. I'm not implying that. I'm not going to say that. I just want you to understand the context where God is at with the nation of Judah. I want you to understand where they're at during the reign of King Uzziah. Because as this is written here, this is right around the reign of King Uzziah right now. Because we read in chapter 6, Uzziah dies. And Isaiah is given this, this comprehensive vision about the things to come. But we see a people with a corrupted condition. And I mentioned some things to you about, about this. And just for sake of time, I want you to see some things. As Isaiah opens up, he doesn't open up with flowery language about the greatness of God. And he doesn't open up with flowery language about how good these people are. And he doesn't open up with make me feel good, a Joel Austin type of message that makes me feel good. And if I do this, God will bless my handkerchief and I'll have a lot of money in my bank. That ain't true. That's not the Bible, okay? Prosperity theology is not biblical. Amen. It's not biblical, okay? We have to understand we, there are blessings and cursings. Read the book of Deuteronomy as you start this new year. God says, if you obey me, you have my blessing. If you disobey me, you're going to have my cursing. Watch us today. As we go this, this is a people of God in Isaiah chapter 1 who have all the scriptures. They have all the writings of Moses. They have the record of King David. They have, they have some of the Psalms that have been passed down to them. This is a people of God that have the same thing that, that Moses wrote down and that David read. And they know from Deuteronomy. In fact, they were trained, if you read through Deuteronomy, they were trained to read that as a child growing up, that they might learn that you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. He said, that's not an option. That is an obligation that every, every saved person has and every believer of God has to have, that we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. By the way, someone asked me yesterday, said, why do you love God? I said, because God first loved me. That's why. God first loved me. I didn't love him first. He loved me first. That's 1 John 4.10. And because God loved me, you have to understand, God took the first step out. God doesn't have to love me. In fact, if anything, God has already put me under the sentence of condemnation the moment I'm born in this world because of my sinful condition. But there's a people that had the blessings of God. And I want to tell you this. God promised them. He said, listen, listen, if you obey me, you'll never have a bad day. He said, if you obey me, he said, he said I'm going to bless your land. He says, he says, listen, you'll have the seasons, but y'all bless your land, and you'll never have to worry about a famine, and you'll never have to worry about a drought, and you'll have crops, you'll have bumper crops every year, and you'll have crops beyond, beyond what you can expect, and, and your flocks will flourish. And he said, I'll, I'll give you a lamb. We're, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 11. He says, I'll give you a lamb that the, that the eyes of the Lord are upon the land from the beginning of the year to the end thereof. He said, you, you, just, you just obey me, and I know I'm going to bless you, but he he says, if you disobey me, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to withhold the rain from above, and you're going to have droughts, and you're going to have famine. And with famine, that means shortage of food. And with shortage of food, that means unemployment. And with unemployment, you have scarcity of things. And things are very, very difficult. And so these people of God, they got to the place where, where they were enjoying the blessings of God. And God had to remind them in Deuteronomy chapter 8, remember this, it's the Lord your God who gives you the power to acquire wealth. Let me tell you this morning, I don't care who you are, you're not, you're not a self-made man, you're not a self-made woman, and you're not rich, and you're not well-to-do because of what you did. God gave you what you have. You have everything by God. You are a person that's been blessed of the Lord. And he said, now remember the Lord your God. He's the one who gives you the power to get wealth. You students, you're going through school and have bought the lie of the devil in the second university. You've got to make it your way and you've got to do your own thing and you get your job and God didn't give it to you. Let me tell you what today, God, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And you have to understand this morning that God gives you everything you have. And so these people were blessed of God and they became, they got to the place where the Bible says in the book of Judges, every man did that which was right in his own eyes and they started going away from God. 
God. And they started to have idols that they worshipped. And they started to despise the word of God. And not only did they have idols they worshipped, these were people that were, that were just amazed you. They did the sacrifices, we'll read. They did the sacrifices. And they had the ceremonies because God gave them a calendar in the book of Leviticus in terms of when to do the Feast of Passover, which would be our month of April, and when to do the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And he talked about doing the Day of Atonement. And he talked about the Feast of Pentecost, which is also called the Feast of Weeks, where they would celebrate the harvest time and the blessings of God. And he talked about the Feast of the Tabernacles to remind themselves how God took care of them in the wilderness area. And they would erect these tabernacles for one week to remind themselves. He says, you've got to keep all these feasts. And, and of course, the high priests and the priests and the Levites, they, kept, they, had the test, they had the temple at that time. And they would go into the temple and they would worship God, and they would light the candelabras, and they would have the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and all those things we'll talk about during this series. And uh, they did all those things, but the bizarre thing is, the, these, people, these people of Judah, they started commingling with the pagan nations. Now, a pagan is someone who doesn't know God. A pagan is someone who doesn't worship God, okay? A pagan is someone who has no, no need for God. I witnessed to a man extensive yesterday with Brother Knudsen. We spent a very extensive time with him. And here's how the conversation ended. I don't need God. I'm my own man, I'm self-made, and if God wants to speak to me, let him speak to me. And I thought, boy, I, don't, I would not have said that if I were you, but you know, it came out, and I'm just gonna tell you today, you know, the, that's, that's a pagan nation, a pagan, pagan nation says, we don't need God. Uh, we don't want God in our schools, and we don't want God in our pulpits, and we don't want God in graduation speeches, and we don't want God in our prayers, and we don't want the Ten Commandments on our monument. I mean, that's a pagan nation when they don't want God, and they wanna worship other gods. And so these, 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 these Israelites, they wanted peace with everybody, and so these, these Jews, they started commingling with people, and they'd go to places, say, hey, you know what? I like how they worship their gods over there. And I like these groves of trees and how it's so decorative and how they do these things. And so they brought back these pagan traditions back into Judah and back into Israel. And they started doing idol worship. They started taking these grotesque, ugly gods that were made out of wood and made out of stone that had eyes that could see uh, the eyes that could not see, they were inanimate objects, eyes that could not see, hands that could not touch, they had, it had no heart, it had ears that could not hear, and they brought this, they incorporated this, if you can imagine this, into the worship of Judah. Now, I'm not talking about an isolated incident where just one or two people were doing this. I'm talking about the entire nation of Judah, everybody, man and woman, old and young, married and single, didn't matter who they were, they were worshiping idols, and so they would go on their rooftops and go inside their homes, and while they did their ceremonies and did their thing, where they looked like a good Jew and a good believer, they would go home at night and every day and they would worship these gods and do all these bizarre things just like the pagans that God told them not to commingle with were doing. They were worshiping these gods and we'll see some of that as we go to the study here. Well, God, this is where we're at in chapter one. They've been doing these things and so now the heart of God is heavy and God has raised up this man by the name of Isaiah here in chapter one. And Isaiah is God's voice. He is God's man to these people here. So notice number one, we see here this people who have a corrupt condition. First of all, notice they're an iniquitous people. They're an iniquitous people. I have to go through this very quickly here. In verse two, he says, I have nourished and brought up children and they have rebelled against me. In other words, I've taken care of them and they've turned their backs on me. Now, I'm gonna tell you this, this, this morning, there's probably nothing that is more hurtful to a mother or father than to know they've poured out their heart They've done their best to raise their children in the, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, to train them up in the way they should go, to only have them find out later on that their kids are not on the same page. They've rebelled against God. They don't want nothing to do with God. They just turn their hearts. I mean, there's nothing more heartbreaking than that. Read through the book of Proverbs. It tells us that. And God is saying the same thing here to Isaiah, to tell them, I have nourished and brought you up. I've taken care of you. You've rebelled against me. In fact, he says in verse three, he describes this iniquitous people. He says, you know what? The animals have more sense than you do. 
He says, the ox acknowledges his owner. It says he knows his owner. And the ass, it knows its master's crib. It understands that in that manger there, that crib, that, 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 hort, that trough, that as there's, as there's food and water that's put in there, that, that, that ox and that ass, they know who, who gives them. They don't bite the hand that feeds them. He says, animals have more sense than my people. They have forgotten and they're not acknowledging who I am. They've not thanked me. And now he goes off in verse four in very, very strong language. He talks about these people. Notice he gives seven or eight descriptions that bother us in our heart. He describes them as people that are sinful. He calls them in verse four, a sinful nation. He calls them in verse four, a people laden, or if you would, saturated and overcome with iniquity. Now the word iniquity, if you've been in my services in the past, the word iniquity, we get our word depraved from that. And the word depraved means someone that's so far into sin. I mean, it means basically more than just missing the mark. And it means more than breaking a boundary. It means their heart is darkened and far from God. I mean, I want you to understand, this is God using speech that he doesn't hold back on and adjectives he doesn't hold back on and describing an iniquitous people. He says they're a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity. He says you're a seed of evildoers. Now he's basically saying you're following the footpaths of your forefathers that have sinned against me. He says you are children, notice this, that are corruptors. He says you have forsaken the Lord. And by the way, that's what sin is. Sin is when we forsake the Lord. We've forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel. Now sometimes we think, well, God doesn't care. God does care. Did you know every time we sin, we provoke God? Every time we sin, we break the heart of God. And every time we sin, God is angered. If we repeat those same sins and do those things without a flinch on our face, without a conscience in our heart about what we're doing here. He says they're gone away backwards and that's where we get our term backsliding from. They're gone away backwards. And then notice here in verses five and six, he describes this iniquitous people as people that are very corrupt in their sins. They're corrupt in their behavior. I have this statement I make. When we repeat certain sins and when we do certain things that start off in private and we go on and do it in public, the progression of things goes this way. No shame. No sense. That's what he's talking about, about the ox and the ass. No sense. And no stopping. No shame. No sense. No stopping. Now I read this, and I like to think I'm a Bible student. I read this, and I scratch my head with both my hands, and I'm thinking, what's wrong with these people? God has blessed you. God has blessed you. And he describes these people with seven or eight descriptions that they're corrupt. And then notice this, if you would. He says, this is how corrupt he says there in verse five and six. He says, you're spiritually sick. He says, your sinful repetition, your sinful pathway, you're sick. He says, the whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. And he says, from the sole of the foot, even to the head, there's no soundness, there's no health in it. And he describes, he uses some, some physical, anatomical um, adjectives for us to describe how sick they were spiritually. <laughs> he says, but you have wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. I mean, literally, you know what God's saying there? You're so spiritually sick. Your, 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 your soul is getting gangrene and you're getting spiritual gangrene. You're at the risk of needing to amputate something there because you're so sick. You've got putrefying sores and you've got pus coming out and it's turning color and it's not very good there. And he says, they have not been closed up. He says, the wound is not getting smaller. It's not closed up. It's, it's been infected and, it's, and you're, you're at risk of, of endangerment here. He says, neither bound up, neither mollified and with ointment. And so God goes on and he talks about an iniquitous people. 
Wow, what a way to start off the new year. God doesn't spare any words. In very colorful terms. He describes how far they've gotten away from God. When we're far away from God, we don't have a desire for God. We don't want to worship the Lord. We get around somebody who does love God, who's very, we might say, we, we sense some spirituality in them. We have a tendency not to want to fellowship with somebody that's too spiritual because it bothers our conscience. And sometimes a pastor like Pastor Fong will get up and preach something like this unabashed and we, we feel a little bit taken back like, well, you know, I, I came to church. I didn't come to hear that. But you know what? This is the Bible. We have to declare all the word of God. Amen? And you know what God sent for us here? God's put us under his spiritual CT scan and shows us exactly what's going on here. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? There's no such thing as a good sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous no, not one. We can cover it up with makeup. When you take the makeup off, it's still there. And God describes them as an iniquitous people that are very desolate. On the outside, you look like you're doing well. But the inside, you're sick. And he describes them like a cottage cottage in a vineyard and a cottage in a garden of cucumbers. You're out, you're out there. You're all by yourself. They're an iniquitous people, but notice something else. Would you notice their insincere practices? In verses 10 to 17, God talks about their practices. The word sincere is kind of an interesting word. In the Latin, the word sincere is made up of two words. And those two words mean this, without wax. Without wax. And it has the idea of, back in the day, the, because they did a lot of, they, people used and sold a lot of pottery back in those days. That back in those days, dishonest merchants would use wax to hide defects in their pottery. You know, they cover the cracks and things like that. So they could sell their merchandise at a higher price. So it looked really good, but it wasn't good. And uh, in Latin, they came up with this term, you know, the word sincere is kind of like without wax. And these people were putting on a show. They were pretentious. They were disingenuous. They had a double face. Look what he's talking about here. They kept their sacrifices they did the daily burnt offerings of rams. They did it exactly to the law. They, they sacrificed bulls for sin offerings and lambs for, for sin offerings and goat for sin offerings. He talked about the blood being shed. And you have to remember that there was a, in the temple there, they had, a, they had an area that where they just, where all the sacrifices were done and a lot of the blood that flowed there flowed down to the book Kidron. And many times when they had the large number of sacrifices that involved the whole nation, the, the, the brook Kidron, you look it up in your own reading, the brook Kidron would be, would be flowing red with the blood of animals that were slain as sacrifices for the sins of the people. 
And uh, he says uh, they did their sacrifices. And he says they're coming right on time to the courts of God. And God, 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 God says, you know, this is too much. He said in verse 11, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices? He says, I've exposed what you are. But you're coming to the house of God. Doing all the sacrifices. As if there's nothing wrong. He said, to what purpose are you doing this? And he says, he goes a little bit further. He says, I'm full. I'm delight not with what you're doing. He said in verse 13, bring no more these vain oblations. In other words, these sacrifices, these ceremonial performances. He said, your incense is an abomination unto me. Incense was part of, you know, where they would burn incense. And incense is a picture of the prayers of God's people. And incense would be burned every day. He says, don't burn anymore. He says, it's a stench in my nose. This is God speaking to them. And he says, your new moons and your Sabbaths and the calling of assemblies. You're having Bible conferences. You're, having, you're calling corporate worship, the calling of your assemblies. He says, you're doing all these things, but nothing's changed here. He says, you've, you've got this wax that's covering you up. Nothing's changed there. And so he's talking about this. He says, he's saying here, he says, I cannot away with it. He says, you know what? I can't take this anymore is what God is saying. He said, what you are doing, listen to me. Watch this in verse, verse 13. He says, insincere practices, hypocrisy on the part of God's people. He says, it is iniquity. It is iniquity. He says, even the solemn meeting. Now, I'm not saying today, if you're struggling your spiritual life, you shouldn't come to church. You need to be in church. God, church is a good place to be. Can I hear an amen, all right? That's not what he's saying there, okay? He's saying here, you guys are coming to church. You're coming to the temple of God. And you're doing all these practices, but you got wax covering it up. You're not really showing a true relationship between you and God. And he goes on by saying in verse 14, your new moons and your, your appointed feasts, listen to this, my soul hateth. He said, they're a trouble to me. I'm weary to bear them. He said, when you spread forth your hands, that's talking about praying, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. And he ca caps it off in verse 15, your hands are full of blood. They're not clean. A corrupt condition. We chose this theme for 2020, only God. After much prayer and deliberation. Because the greatest need we have as a congregation is not more property and remodeling. Even paying down our debt, which I'll talk about tonight. The greatest need of our congregation is not all these physical things. We look nice, come with our well-dressed. Greatest need of our congregation, greatest need of this pastor and you is to be holy and sincere in our walk with God. We need to stop the play acting. We need to stop acting like we're, real, we're good stuff. And realize as we read Isaiah chapter 1 with much shame in our hearts, God sees beneath the surface. God knows what's underneath that mask. He sees a corrupt condition. Notice secondly, very quickly. If I stop there, I would not do service or justice to the character of God. 
Because where we see a corrupt condition, I'm thankful to tell you, we have a compassionate calling. Amen? The Lord reaches out to his people, and he abruptly changes the tone. He says in verse 16 and 17, he's calling to them. He says, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fathers, plead for the widow. You know what God is doing there? He's calling to them. Look, I want you to correct your practices, things that you stopped that were good, you need to start doing again. Listen, if you stop praying, you can start praying today. If you stop reading your Bible, you can start reading your Bible today. If you've struggled about your church attendance, guess what? Make a decision this morning. I'm going to be in church every Sunday. Amen. Okay? If you haven't been tithing, you can just say, God, God, I'm going to start tithing. If you've, not been, if, you're ba- if you've been backlogging your offerings to God, just get it right with the Lord. I mean, just if you've got a grudge with somebody, let's just get it right. Amen? Life's too short for all this stuff. Amen? I mean, I'm just saying here, we look at all this stuff, and God is saying, listen, here's what I want you to do. He says, be clean. Be clean, okay? He said, I want you to wash yourselves and be clean. He says, let's, let's, let's stop this game. Let's stop the playing. Let's get, let's get right with this thing here. And then notice verse 18. What you notice is compassion to call him God. God is pouring his heart out to them. And I almost imagine as Isaiah is preaching this, 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 this sermon to them that there's tears coming down his eyes because he's grieved and he's moved by the heart of God. And he says, come now and let us reason together. In verses 16 to 17, he gives them, <coughs> excuse me, Eight necessary steps to take. And then he says, I didn't tell you these things in verses 16 to 17 for you to sit back and think about it and to mull on it and say, well, that's a good idea and let's come back and look at it next Sunday, January 12th. And he said, I didn't give this to you to sit on and think about it and we'll come back and visit it on the first Sunday, February. He says, I'm reaching out to you. He says, you're the one that you should be reaching out to me, but I'm reaching out to you. I'm reaching out to you because I love you and I'm reaching out to you because this has to stop. And he says, here's what I'm doing. I'm reaching out to you and he says, come now. He says, come now and let us reason together. He says, our, our, our differences have been unreasonable. And he says, you need to get some reason in your heart. You need to re- be reasonable and come to God. Come now, he said, and let us reason together. Let's reason. Get on the same page with God. Get on the same, the same platform with God. He, says, he said, don't come tomorrow, and don't wait till next week, and don't wait till tonight. He says, come now. There's the compassion calling of God. There's the now of God. Listen, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day to get saved. Now is the day to realize we need our hearts pure. Now is the time to realize we must start the year great and start the year strong. We must start the year with God only as our helper. We need to realize today, now is the right step to take in receiving God's forgiveness. And now is the action word for a clean start. And now is the right step to being fully repentant. And now is the time to serve God. Now is high time, as we said Tuesday night on our New Year's Eve service. Now is high time. That means right now. Now is the time to get serious for God. Now is the time to be like Brother Mauricio. And if you've not followed the Lord's scriptural baptism, to get baptized. Now is the time to be a fully fledged committed church member now is the time to be part of a thriving church tonight we have the lord's supper for all those who are church members if you're not a church member i hope that you'll become come on board someday soon and so you can partake of a lord's supper with us tonight and rejoice in what jesus christ did for us but now is the time now is the time to get on fire for god and now is the time to serve the lord and now is the time to get in all the way and now is the time to realize god wants you to love him with all your heart your soul your mind we've had all the distractions 
imagine, and we've heard all the murmurings, and we've heard all the voices. I want to tell you this morning, God appeals to us like he did through Isaiah. He said, come now. And he said, let us reason together. He says, listen, I want you to come with me. Let me lead you, he said. Let me guide you along the way. I'm saying to you this morning, there is the compassionate calling of a loving, holy, mighty God who wants you to live for him and rejoice forever and forever. We see a corrupted condition. We see compassion calling. As we close, would you go back to verse 18? Let's pull it all together. There's a comprehensive cleansing. Now God said, come. Now. The Lord's working in your conscience and in your soul. Come now. Your biggest need and my biggest need is not to feel good or to feel sorry. Our biggest need, if God's put his finger on our life, is to come clean. A clean start. And here's what God says in verse 18. We're almost done. Let's reason together. He said, we're, we're very far off, but let's get together again. Now listen to what I'm going to tell you because what God gives us here in verse 18 are the steps for every reconciliation, for every restoration. There is no reconciliation unless there's first repentance. There must be repentance first. Come now, let us reason together. What did I say earlier? When we're on this pattern like Israel and Judah, they keep on sinning, they keep on going down the same path, they're used to that, that doesn't bother me. It's kind of like I have, to, I have to remind people around the church every now and then, let's not get used to the smudges on the walls or the dirt on the floor, let's keep it clean. If you get used to it, you ignore it, you don't see it anymore. And God said, don't get used to being in sin. Don't get used to being far away from him because he loves you and he doesn't want you far from him, he wants you near to him, okay? This is like every relationship in this room today. You want to be close to someone that you love, you don't want to be far away from them. And God says, I love you, I want you to be close to me. But the starting point for that, he says, come now and let us reason together. Now notice how he describes our sins. Though your sins be as? Though your sins be as? Scarlet. What's scarlet? The scarlet dye is the most difficult color stain to remove out of any fabric. In that day, it was produced by taking a certain worm that when you squeeze that worm, they would drive that red dye out of it. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit when we get in the book of Revelation. And if you tried to get that scarlet color out of that fabric, you would only destroy the fabric. You would ruin it. It's useless. And God says the, the stain of sin, you cannot remove it with soap and water. The stain of sin is so terrible. He says it's like scarlet. Now when Isaiah used that language, every priest, every scribe, every elder, every leader, every man, woman, and child Know exactly what he's talking about. That scarlet red, it was impossible humanly to get it out of the fabric. 
You can't remove it. And God is saying here that with sin in our life, we cannot, through our manufacturing process or shenanigans, we cannot, we cannot cleanse our own sins. You cannot cleanse your own sins. I cannot cleanse your own That's why it's a fallacy. You cannot go to a human man and ask him to pray over your sins. No human man can forgive you your sins. Pastor Fong cannot forgive your sins. If you got sin, I'll pray for you. But if, you don't, if you're not willing to pray for yourself and confess your sin, there is no cleansing apart from confession. And here's the problem we have. Why differences never get settled why people go through life with grudges, why people just have these irreconcilable differences, which is a bad term, why people feel like I can't forgive is because you're not dealing with your sin. And the only way you could deal with your sin is realizing our skins are scarlet. You cannot wash away your sin. You cannot deal with your sin your way. Sin, sin is like scarlet, but he says this. This is wonderful. Though your sins be scarlet, they should be as white as snow. That's a blessing, amen? I should have wore something red today to show that. It's scarlet, but when the cleansing power of Jesus Christ comes in, he makes it white as snow. Go with me to Revelation chapter one, verse five, very quickly. Revelation one, five, it might be in your notes, but look, turn, it, turn to it, please. And he says, and from Jesus Christ, who's the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, all he's saying there is, hey, Jesus is God. That's all he's saying there, amen? He's eternal. He's the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. He's saying, listen, only Jesus Christ can do this. He says, he says unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Hey, you can't wash away scarlet, but the blood of Jesus Christ can. Unto him that washed us from our sins in his own blood. First John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in light, we have fellowship one with another. I'll say in the light this year. And he says the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, blood of Jesus Christ is clean, cleanses us. And you underline it, if you've never underlined it, from all sin. When you get under the blood of Jesus Christ, it's a total removal of sin. Past, present, and future. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only means by which sins can be covered and sins can be forgiven. Listen, if you know anything about colors, you understand this. If you look at objects to a different color, those objects may appear as a different color. Did you know if you look at red through a red lens, that object of red looks white? And when Jesus sees us, God looks at us, he sees the application, the blood of Jesus Christ for our sins. He doesn't see us as sinners, he sees us as white as snow. A comprehensive cleansing. Though your sins be scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. He said, though they be red like crimson, brightly burning, boastful crimson, he said, it'll be like wool, like the Wool off of a lamb that was cut off and cleaned and white. You know what God's telling us? The blood of Jesus Christ gives us removal of our sins. And the blood of Jesus Christ redeems us from our sins. And the blood of Jesus Christ, notice verse 18 again, reconciles us to God. How can we be together again through the blood of Jesus Christ? How can we be together again? How can we be reconciled with God? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. How can we be right with someone that we've had wrong with? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's through the blood that that happens tonight in our, and today in your life and mine. 
In England, there's a paper factory that makes the finest stationery that's ever been made. A man touring the factory asked what that stationery was made from. He touched it. He said, man, this is really good paper. And the guy giving him the tour showed him a pile of rolled rags. And the man said, it can't be. And the man giving the tour said, the rag content is what determines the quality of this paper. Man said, I don't believe that. He says, how can you take dirty, old, oil-stained, smudged rags and turn it into this kind of paper? He left the factory and went back to his place. Six weeks later, he received a package this big of paper from that manufacturing company. And it had his initials embossed on it because he left some dirty rags, which included an old shirt that had his initials embossed on it. And he got this, this stationery on the first page were these words, dirty rags transformed. Dirty rags transformed. You know, we're just dirty rags that Christ has transformed. Amen? I mean, just, we can't wash away our sins. These are terrible things. You're, you're not like that, but they were. But God is saying, even though it's like scarlet, he can make it as white as snow. And though it be red like crimson, it can become wool. Let's reason together, God says. On this 2020, January 5th Sunday, a clean start comes by having a clean life and a clean heart, a clean conscience, a clean mouth, a clean mind, a clean soul. But you cannot cleanse it, and I cannot cleanse it. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse it this morning. Come now, he said, and reason together. The onus is on you. You need to come. And you need to reason with God. Come now and let us reason together. Together again. He says, yes, that's how bad it is, as we describe. But he says, the shed blood of Jesus Christ can make it as white as snow. And the shed blood of Jesus Christ can clean. How does that happen? Well, this morning, if you're not saved, if you've never come to Christ as Savior, realized your sins are so terrible, you're under the sentence of God's condemnation because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But we have good news. When you come to God and say by faith, I know I'm a sinner, and call upon Jesus to be your Savior and to save you from your sins, and you believe that he died for you, God, in that transactional process, he washes away our sins. They come under the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed only once. Jesus only had to die once for sinners. That shed blood was sufficient to cleanse us from all of our sins, past, present, and future. And as a believer today, as a believer, guess what happens? You, you, we sometimes struggle in our conscience with sins we've had and things we're dealing with, but the Bible says that blood that was shed can keep on cleansing. This is what you could do. As a Christian, if you're struggling with some sins in your life, you can come to God this morning in love as long as your heart is contrite and come to him and confess that sin to him and that sufficient blood will cleanse you from that sin. It's, forever, it's continuous, repetitious cleansing we come, but we must come with a heart of confession and we, because the Bible says if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come now, not tonight, not before the Lord's table, not one hour from now. Come now, God says, and let us reason together.